0: Good morning. Well, until about quarter to four yesterday, I didn't know I was going to be here. But here we are, and here you are. It looks like a nice crowd here, many familiar faces. And uh, some of you, most of you probably know who I am, but my name's Clinton Wolf, not Larry Zook, in case you're wondering. Larry was going to be, doing this message, or actually the one before, a little switching around, and Larry has a sore throat, and so here I am. I don't know what his topic was going to be, and uh, gave me room to come up with a topic that I feel like would bless you this morning. So first of all, let's start with prayer. Lord, we come to you Oh God, just asking your blessing on this, this time, on these young people, on these young, impressionable, moldable, shapeable minds. Oh God, I pray that your spirit would be here and move in our midst. Move on my tongue, move on the ears and hearts here, oh God, that there would be an openness, there would be a hunger. I pray that, that the devil would have no place here, to stop ears and close hearts. My Lord, I pray that there would be a softness here in this room today. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And I ask, O Lord, that he would have absolute power and control over my tongue. And just pray that that your will would be done as we speak here this morning. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll be focusing on the 3rd through the 5th verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. The title of my message this morning is, The Mind, The Mind, The Weapon, A Weapon, The Battlefield, and The Prize. Say it again, the mind, a weapon, the battlefield, and the prize. It will be primarily taken out of Second Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. You'll see there at least four places the concept of thought is in there. You're going to see the word high places. You're going to see imaginations, high things, knowledge and thought. So the third verse, chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10:3 through 5. For the weapons of our we though we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing That exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So that would be the topic today. Is the mind? The mind is a weapon. Why do we know it's a weapon? You ever think about it being a weapon? It's at least something that needs protected. We know from Ephesians six that we are to take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. So what's the helmet? The helmet is, of course, salvation. But what's it cover? It covers the mind. It covers the brain. It covers our thoughts. And so when we think of the helmet of salvation, that to me is a beginning thought, probably the most important thing that I will say today. If you have the helmet of salvation on, you have full assurance Of salvation. And that changes your identity. It changes who you are. It changes who you think you are before God. It changes your future. It changes the way you think of your past. It is your identity. And I like to think of it as mental furniture. If we have the helmet of salvation on. Brothers and sisters. We know that we're saved. We know that we know. That we know that we're saved. You know if we would be blindfolded. And be taken away and all confused for three days. And not being able to see. And we would, somebody would bring us back to our living room. A room we're very familiar with. And take the blindfold off. We would instantly know that we're in our living room. We wouldn't have to go through a process. Well, the paint's right. Smells right. The furniture seems to be in the right place. We wouldn't go through that process. And we shouldn't do that with salvation. We should know. We should just be a part of who we are. You know, I don't wake up in the morning wondering if I'm married or who my wife is. It's just something I, it just is. We should have that helmet of salvation on our head. It'll be the supreme weapon that we will fight. It's a mind, it should be in our minds that we are right before God and God is our friend. You know, one of the ways we could describe the helmet is a habit of thinking God's thoughts after Him. That would be the helmet, the habit of thinking God's thoughts after Him. The battlefield. It is also the battlefield, so it is a weapon, but it is also the battlefield. It is the place where the fight happens. So we fight with our mind, but we also have a battlefield of the mind. And we know that's true. We know that darkness and light God and Satan, good and evil, are all fighting for the real estate of our minds. That is where it all happens. This is whoever gains control of your mind, whoever gains control of my mind, has control of the rest of me. Our minds are a part of our brain, but the spiritual part of our physical brain Is the mind, and even to this day, scientists don't fully understand the concept of consciousness. We are conscious. We are conscious of thinking about thinking. And that is the part that God wants control of. But it's also the part that Satan wants control of. How many in this room would raise their hand and say, I have no trouble with my thought life? Hmm, I didn't expect any hands to go up. It would be a rare person. They would raise their hand and say, I have no problem with my thought life. You know, when we say that, you know, we go into the council room, you know, in an in evening of Bible school like this, sometimes that'll be something that'll come up. I have problems with my thought life. And often when we dig, we find for girls, it's fantasizing about boys and relationships and thus maybe a certain boy. And with guys, often it's sexual lust. That's what often it is. But I would like to challenge that. It is more than just those issues that most of the time we struggle with in our thought life. Anger. Yes, lust. Fear and anxiety, which is the chronic version of fear. Or, you know, discouragement or depression, which is the chronic version of that. We might have envy and discontent. Those are all things that start, actually, they're in the mind. They, they show themselves. Remember, the weapons of warfare are not carnal. We are, have to realize that this battle that we are fighting is not fought naturally. It is fought spiritually. If we take carnal weapons, fleshly weapons, weapons of flesh rather than weapons of faith to a battle like this, we will lose. It is a spiritual battle. You know, one of the things we might deal with is holding grudges or or regurgitating and thinking about cogitating over hurts that have happened in our lives. What about distractibility? You know, we live in the most distracted age. According to sociologists today, they say that we live in the most distracted age in all of history. We cannot hardly focus on anything for any length of time. And what does that do to our spiritual lives? How do we how do we fight that battle? But those are the battlefield is in the mind. It is the battlefield, but it is also the prize. It is the prize because whoever rules this real estate has control. So is it our will controlled by God's will in control? on the throne, or is it the devil that has control in our flesh? Just, you know, if you don't know, it's probably the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is probably a fact. So, strongholds. Let's just look at this passage a little bit. We have the concept of a stronghold. Casting down imagination. Every high thing. It's there in the, in the fourth verse. Pulling down of strongholds. In Ephesians 4. It says. Give. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Now. A, a stronghold. Or a place of the devil. Is any part of our mind. That the devil has control of and it controls the rest of our lives too so we need to be careful the thoughts that we think when God says you can't and I say I can't that is a stronghold you know a lot of times in counseling situations I don't know how that's the first you know I'm confused I don't know how that is a stronghold when I say that that yes that's what you can do that's what other people can do but i can't do it that is a strong hold it is saying to god that god you are not true my ideas are what is true satan now has a strong hold in our minds but the battle remember is a spiritual battle but it is manifest in our lives you know that's how we know we know what's inside of here by what comes out of our hands and our feet, the places we go, the things we look at, the people we talk to, the people we associate with. But it starts in the mind. The imagination spoken of there is often translated in other translations as argument. And argument is just simply ideas. It is things that we, we it's, it's reasonable sounding words to explain, maybe a sin. That we are in, you know, the world is doing it all the time. We have all kinds of good arguments about why that that it's okay to to live in sin, live in all kinds of horrible sins today. They have high sounding. That's where we come to the next word is high things. We have high high blown arguments. We're far more advanced than we used to be. We now know that that our gender is not binary. We know that we can be whatever we want to be. We're, We're advanced. That's high things. And it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There is things that God has said about how to live and who we are and who we ought to be, and we have evolved. You know, when they use the term nowadays "woke." You know, we're we're so aware of all the things that that used to suppress us and oppress us, and Christianity being the most oppressive, of course, because it defines and tells who God is. God revealed Himself through jesus christ and through the word and those who believe it are not awoke they're not evolved but i'm telling you that's a high thing that exalts itself against god what's in our minds do is there any of that niggling around in the back of our mind you know young men who struggle with lust why did you create me so maybe maybe it's all right to indulge this thing that is a high thing That exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive. Bringing every thought captive. This spiritual warfare, this God's Spirit working, brings every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Just think about that. That is contained, that is controlled by, that is every thought. I would say there's people in this room who even now, their mind is wandering. That would be unusual if if every single one of you was absolutely focused on everything I was saying. We have a hard time focusing for just even a few minutes. But the Christian life is a life of discipline. Don't ever forget that. It is a life of self-control. It's called temperance in the old King James. But it, it just means that a life that is under control. And one of the ways that We bring our lives under control. is to bring our thoughts, our mind, in control of God's spirit. In captivity, obedience to Christ. Is our thoughts obedient to Christ? You know, that verse there really stood out to me years ago. I was at at a German Baptist annual meeting conference, and a brother came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, There's a man that needs to be prayed for out in the parking lot. So I went with him and found that there was maybe a dozen men there. And they were all gathered around this man who was struggling with his thoughts. And it was, I mean, I probably had, probably they would call him mentally ill. He would sit at a a stoplight and he would see somebody walking in front of him and he'd just feel this urge just to punch him the gas and run him over. He thought about, you know, he would... Fantasize and imagine becoming unfaithful to his wife and, or committing suicide. He just had thoughts coming in his mind all the time. He just couldn't get rid of them. And I remember there was a man there. I was a pretty young Christian at the time. And he was there, and I just was marveled at his handling of the word of God. This man that was there, he, he kind of ended up sort of leading this little prayer meeting that we had, and he just had the Bible open. And he showed through the word of God Many powerful truths, but this was the one bringing into captivity every thought. He used that. He, he handled the word of God in such a way that it became a powerful word that day. And that man, I don't know what ever come of him. I never found out much later. But it is so true that this man needed to bring every thought. Thank you, him, Every thought into captivity. He knows me. into captivity every thought. And you know, when we bring our thoughts, if we are captive by Satan at his will, we are in bondage, we are in chains. The fascinating thing about being captive to Jesus Christ, having our mind captive to Jesus Christ, it actually frees us. We are no longer bound, but we are actually in captivity to christ is a freeing thing we're now in i'll go We walk through the narrow gate we open up into the kingdom of god and it's a wide place you know one thing i would like to impress upon you today is that the gospel of jesus christ is not oppressive it is not dark it is not restrictive. It only looks that way to the unbeliever. It only looks that way to those in rebellion to God. But those who are in Christ realize that it coming under His Lordship is the most freeing, the most broadening thing in their life. It looks small on the outside, but it's as big as the universe on the inside. It goes on forever. And it's, He's coming again someday, and I'm looking forward to someday... Being in that immensity of God's eternal presence, we do not need to fear being captive to Jesus Christ. I would like to speak about the importance of the mind just for a moment. You know, we love, you know, I told you all the things we do that's evil with the mind. You know, the lust and the envy and the hatred and the malice and all those things, and they're all in the mind. They start, they have their manifestations. You know, some of you are in homes where you've experienced the hard things. Maybe an angry father or whatever it might be. But there is also the good that happens in the mind. The reason why it's so important. The reason why it's a battlefield. It's the reason why we need to wage warfare. is because we also love in our minds. That's where love starts. It's where forgiveness happens. You know, to actually come to a place where we can let go of a hurt... And not carry it anymore, and not in the person that done it to us owes us nothing that happens inside the mind that happens inside the mind, we worship God, yes, we raise our hands, we raise our voice, we sing, but real worship happens when we we are gazing upon the cross, gazing upon the immensity of Jesus Christ and His great love for us and turning our minds that way and giving Him glory. We cannot make God greater. We cannot, you know, glorifying God doesn't make God something. All we can do is point to it. You know, one of the ways we glorify, you know, as I, was, I was really brought to mind one day when I, there was a beautiful a constellation. It was the Milky Way and there was some things going on in the sky and, I, and I, I just felt like somebody else needs to experience this with me. So I brought my family out and I pointed to the sky and I said look that is what glorifying God is. We can't, I couldn't change those stars. I couldn't make it any better. I couldn't change it but I could point to it and that's what we do with our mind. We point to God with our minds. And when we glorify Him out loud, we call others to glorify God with me. That's what the psalmist David says, glorify God with me. So let's do that. We start with our mind, the importance of the mind. It's also the place, you all know, where the flood. The flood happened early on the days of Noah. But we all know what happened, right? There was wickedness in the land. But I would like you to notice where it really started. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination, listen. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So where did this sin problem come that God brought the flood upon man? It came because the man's imagination of his heart was only evil. Evil continually, then Romans talks about that event, and he 's in romans one twenty one because that when they knew God, they did they weren 't that far from creation when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, and we know what happened God gave them over to reprobate minds and much evil, but it started with their vain what 's vain imaginations vain imaginations is futile you know when you see that word vain it just means it's futile it's meaningless it's you know how much meaninglessness is going on in the world today one of the things that's happening as people especially with the technological revolution we're going through right now people are wasting time but sadly they're wasting their minds you know people are not inventing things they're not they're not coming up with ideas because they're being amused which means to not think you know Ah means to not. Muse means to think. So not think. They are not thinking. They're being amused. Vain imaginations. Let's be careful we don't go the way of the world in that. And then, of course, the wickedness is acted out. I would like to point to three scriptures that give the rewards, the rewards of a mind given over to God. The rewards of minds given over to God. Three scriptures. And the one is going to be in Romans, the second one's going to be in Romans, and the th- third one is going to be in 1 Chronicles. And you all know you're very familiar with both of them in Romans. And it says that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded. Is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, Jesus is the prince of peace. He is life. He brings life and more abundant life. And so, what do we want? Do we want death? Does anybody in this room really want death? Do we really want darkness? Be carnally minded is that, but to be spiritually minded, and spiritually minded is to be a mind that thinks the thoughts of God. Not my thoughts, not the world's thoughts, not the devil's thoughts, but God's thoughts. They have a transformed mind. We'll talk about that just a little bit more. But it also said in Romans 12, a very familiar verse that you're all familiar with, the second twelve two, it says that a renewed mind is able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A renewed mind is, a mind that has been renewed in Christ has the ability to know how to walk, knows what God's will is. So it starts in the mind. It starts there. So it is very important. The mind is so very important. You know, to prove the acceptable will of God, to know what God's will is, is what that's saying there. You know, too often I believe that we get in a place where we hide behind our confusion. You know, if, if God would just tell me what to do, I would do it. I'm not a rebel. I just don't know what to do. I'm confused. But too often, I know in my own life, I can say that, often that confusion has been really just simply an unwillingness to yield my will to God. Yes, there are times when we don't know where to go and which way to turn, and we're waiting on God to give us some kind of answer. But most of the time, we're a little bit like Gideon. We've been told what to do, but he's about to to prove it two or three times before we really believe it. So a mind yielded to God knows his will. Isn't that interesting? Oh, well, if he tells me what to do, then I'll yield my mind. It's the other way around. We yield our minds first, and then he tells us what to do. All right, and the third verse I'm going to give as a reward, an advantage of giving our mind over to God. This verse is very beautiful. It is when God had given permission to Solomon. You know, there's a big, long prayer that he gives when he builds the temple and he makes all those sacrifices. But a little less known is when God told Solomon, yes, it's okay, go ahead and build that temple. David wasn't allowed to, but you're going to be allowed to do that. And thou Solomon, God says, this is in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, which be David, serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all imaginations, familiar words, isn't it, and the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. So God is calling on David, to on, on Solomon, to serve him with his whole heart. Now the mind and the heart. I, we can't spend a lot of time on the heart, but the heart is is also the mind. It is, but it is the essence. It is the deepest part of who. Solomon is. It's who you are. You know, when I say, you know, we serve God from the heart, we're serving God from that deepest place of who we are. You know, we have a surface. You know, the part that our friends know, maybe some, maybe some things that our parents might know, and the closest people in our lives might know, but there is yet a deeper place, and that is who you really are. It is the essence. You know, if all you know, if I lose my arms and leg and my occupation, there is still something that is me that's our heart and we are to serve God with that with that deepest innermost part of ourselves and of course it works itself out so I would like to think a little bit about some wrong thinkings which is where we're at sometimes remember that the title of the message the mind the weapon the battlefield and the prize Thinking wrong thoughts about God. Remember the helmet of salvation is thinking right thoughts about God. But thinking wrong thoughts about God will take us in wrong places. And I would use an example in the story of the, in uh, Matthew 25, it tells the story of the man who buried his talent. Remember that? Buried in a napkin. And what does he say? He says to, you know, he gets challenged about that. And The man says, "Well, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a hard man, sowing where you have see, reaping where you have not sowed, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. See, I know you, and that's the reason why I buried my talent in the ground, in a napkin. I knew you. You know what happened to that man? He was cast into outer darkness, with his weeping and gnashing of teeth." He was called a wicked man. There was something that he didn't know. You know, this is a parable about God. You know, there's, yes, God, there is a hell. There is a judgment. God is angry at sinners every day. That's true. But there's something else. God is one who gives, yes, he gives us commands. But there is not one command that God ever gives to us that he doesn't also give us the power to fulfill. And that is grace. That is a definition of grace. It is the power to fulfill God's commands. And that is something that man that buried that talent in the sand did not realize that God had given grace. Yes, you knew I was a hard man. Why didn't you put it at least to usury? If we think the wrong thoughts, was it true? Yes, but it was incomplete. We need to have a full understanding of who we are and who God is and our relationship together. That man had a wrong understanding. Some other thoughts that we might have. God is not enough. God is not enough. I need more than what God has supplied. You know, it works for other people, but it don't work for me. I need this other thing, whatever it might be. You know, I could forgive that person if they would just simply apologize. You know, if I wasn't in this situation, I wouldn't struggle with anger. If that person wasn't in my life, I wouldn't struggle with lust. If that person wasn't in my life, I could be sweet and gentle. God is not enough. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound. remember that word grace? What's the definition of grace? Grace is the power to do what God has commanded. To make all grace abound towards you. Does that include you? It better include you. God's grace needs to abound to you. You need to believe these words. That ye always have all sufficiency in all things. And may abound in every good work is God enough. God is enough. That should be a part of our mental furniture every day. God is enough. You know, you don't deal with it yet, but you might someday. I have met people, and more than one, several actually, that said something like this, I married the wrong spouse. I knew one man who said I should never have gotten married. And he said this after he had about 10 children. You know, there is such a thing as thinking wrong thoughts. God, you know, wherever we're at, you know, it says in 7th of, of 1 Corinthians, it says that we should be content in whatever state we're in. If we're married, don't seek not to be married. If we're a slave, don't seek to be free. There is, that, and that's, you know, that we can overemphasize or wrongly emphasize those verses, but what it's saying is, there is if God has you there then that's where you need to stay and it's where you need to be content. And where does contentment come from? It comes from a a right understanding of who we are before God, but it happens in the mind. So contentment is a thing that we yield to God. An unbiblical emphasis. You know, there's a lot of things I could bring up there. But I would say that many times some of the theological debates I hear, particularly concerning Calvinism, Arminianism, I just feel like it's just not what Jesus came to talk about. He didn't come to tell us, you know, who gets to be saved and who doesn't and and all the all that stuff that people talk about there's just something very beautiful and simple about the gospel of Jesus Christ but we can we can start emphasizing things that God doesn't emphasize. You know, I was challenged one day by a man who said, "You know, he was he knew our circles fairly well, had been a part of us at one time, and he said, "The problem with you guys is that you put so much emphasis to the parents. You know, if the, if the children turn out rotten, you blame the parents. You, you put all this burden on the parents to raise their children right. And if they don't do it right, the children are going to turn out bad. And he really emphasized that. He said, you know, the Bible places the emphasis on the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the first commandment with promise that they would live long on the earth. He said, why don't you put the emphasis where the children, where the Bible does, on the children you know i'm not sure what i make of that but i did think you know it is right and good for him to challenge me to put our emphasis where god does we need to do that you know i i think there's still a place you know fathers provoke not your children to wrath that's in that same set of verses there we need to focus on some of those things but you know maybe in this context it works you know You're blaming your dad. Well, I I could be a better Christian if it wasn't my dad or my mom or my older brother or whatever or my pastor, whatever it might be. The fact is, the burden is on you. Obey. Honor your father and mother for his right. It is good. That's where God places the emphasis. So that is in our minds. A right emphasis is in our minds or not. Discontentment. We talked about that already. But I would just like to to say that there is a lot of things that we can be discontent in. We're just not satisfied with where God has us. And what do we do? What what brings about depression? You know, depression happens in the mind, too. You know, there's a couple of key things that bring about depression. One is anger. And two is self-pity. Those two things are at the back of most depression. Anger and self-pity. So, what does discontent bring about? Self-pity. What happens to our mind when we get into self-pity? We go down, we get discouraged. There is Satan would like us to be there. You know, we can get so discouraged, we can commit suicide. We can get so discouraged, we disbelieve that God is or at least that he's a good and a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Better get my watch in front of me here. Discontent. Self-talk. Do you know that everyone in this room likely, I don't think there will be any exceptions, does a lot of self-talk. You know, you're talking to yourself all the time. Maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe you're not consciously aware of it. But you're telling stories to yourself all the time about who you are, what you would like to do, where you'd like to be, and, and, and a lot of it has to do with your own self-image. You know, self-talk. We have stories we tell ourselves every day, and, it's, and it shapes us and defines us. It sets our limitations. It sets our goals for us in many ways. You know, some of us are shaped by our parents. Some of us are shaped by... Preaching from the pulpit, books you read, but there is self-talk. You know, there is a place for that. In fact, you probably can't stop it even if you would want to. You know, we have, a, we have our image of ourselves, and we tell ourselves these things every day. But I would like to challenge us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said it's time for us to stop talking to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. And that is so true. We need to be constantly telling ourselves who God is. We need to be constantly telling ourselves what the Bible says. We need to start preaching to ourselves the words of God. We need to believe them. You know, stand on the promises of God. You know, some of us are full of impossibilities. You know, a little baby that's born... I think our latest little baby is named Monica in our fellowship. And, you know, she's just as little, as sweetest little thing. And she's full of possibilities. But I was in, a, in Georgia not long ago. And was in Atlanta there. And there was a man laying there, all his possessions around him, all the clothes that he owned on him. And if statistics are any indicator, he probably is a drug addict. And, you know, he has reached a place where there's no possibilities. And it's fascinating to me, I was just reading recently in some new studies they've been making about addiction, and that's probably, he's likely addicted, almost a huge percentage, I mean like it's only a small percentage are not addicted to drugs that are street people. That is just, a, just the way it is. You check them out, it's over and over again, they're on drugs at some level. Addiction is, yes, it's a physical, a physical element to addiction, but it's also what they tell themselves. It is that there's a mental component to it. Just simply a hopelessness or I can't get out of it or this is my identity, this is who I am. So let's stop talking to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. Let's start telling ourselves, if we're going to talk to ourselves anyway, which we do, well then let's tell ourselves what the Bible says. Later on, I'll I'll get there, I guess. There's a place in... ...in Psalms that speaks about talking to ourselves. There is a place that I would like us to think of. You know, Joseph was in Egypt. Joseph was not where he wanted to be. Joseph was not where I think would be normally we'd say God wanted to be. But I would like you to notice what Joseph said. He says to his brothers when they come to him, "...you met it for evil." But God meant it for good. Now that's a good self-talk. That is thinking God's thoughts after. And he realized that there was many souls, many lives were saved because his brothers had committed an evil deed. We need, whatever happens to us, remember that God means it for good. He could have gotten depressed. He could have went out into sin. He could have sinned with Potiphar's wife. He could have been just ended up just a nameless slave, dying young, somewhere and in, in working himself to death there in Egypt. But he kept his mind on God. And even through it all, realized that God had watched over him, even in this. And that is the way we need to do. I, I, when I preached this message one other time, I, I said this. All sins... Begin in the mind. You know, I still haven't thought of an exception to that. But I decided when I was going to preach it again, I decided I wouldn't say that. I think most sins, for sure, begin in the mind. We have to acknowledge that there is. Well, I've given, I've given a pretty good list of them, of those of those uh, sins that begin in the mind. So. How do we get how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that we have thoughts in our mind that we know are leading to sin, you know, a few days ago. You know, I at one time, I spent about 6 years of my life struggling with depression and anxiety. I was I was not in a good place in various ways. And I can say this that everything that I've said today So far, and we'll say to the end, is something I've thought about extensively. And I can tell you that I have lived, what, 12 or more years now completely free. But I can tell you this. Just a couple of days ago, you know, I I got uh, two of my children are in Haiti and one just went to Canada. And there I was, just my wife and one daughter left. And I began to feel sorry for myself. Now, I just told you what happens when we have self-pity, Right? We get depressed. And so for a couple of hours, I was feeling sorry for myself. My children weren't around, and, and I love my children. I like them around. I felt lost, and, and I began to have self-pitying thoughts. And, you know, I am self-aware enough now, after all these years, I am aware that where this is going to go. I know where this is going to take me. And, you know, it took a little bit, but I, you know, I complained to my wife a while. And, but then, you know, I had to quit, So I went out to my little mini barn where I go, and I got down on my knees, and I spent quite a bit of time. I came to a place. You know, I didn't want to go where that was going. We have to replace. And that's what I want to say here now. How do I deal with the fact that I have thoughts in my mind that I cannot deal with very well? You have to replace them. You know, you can't stop thinking. You know, I'm not going to stop thinking that thought. You can't do that. You can distract yourself. And I recommend you distract yourself. We're going to get some scriptures here in a little bit. Distract yourself with the things of God. There is, yes, it is really impossible just to stop thinking the thoughts you're thinking. But you can replace that thought. And that's very important. You know, the story of the unclean spirits. You know, they, they, he, they, he swept and garnished his house. The devil came back, found out there wasn't anything in there. He brought seven spirits worse than the first They came, and the last day that man was worse than the first. We can do that. I don't know. You know I'm just making a comparison here between the evil spirits. If you don't fill your mind up with good things, guess what's going to be there? It'll be bad things. We do not fall in a moment. We do not fall in a moment was at the Minden, Ohio ministers' meetings here this summer. Glenn and I went, and there was a story told there that shook me. I still don't know what to make of it, but the story was told, true story, was told. A man that knew the man experienced it. There was a man who, in the middle of the night, got up and went to his trash pile. And he got down on his hands and knees in the ashes, and he wallowed in the ashes, and he wept, and he cried, and he wailed, crying out to God, because he knew that he was being severely tempted to commit adultery against his wife, and he knew that tomorrow was the day that the test would come, and he knew he was going to fail, and so he wept, he cried, and he wilded around in the ashes, I don't want a mess he must have made of himself, but in the end, the next day, he did commit adultery now you realize what i'm saying here it was in his mind first you know i don't know what all foundations had been laid that's all the story i can tell you i'll tell you just a little bit more later on because it fits into another part of the sermon a little bit more to that story but it began in his mind you know we don't we don't say those angry words before we have an angry thought we don't commit an act of of sin like that man did without first Thinking about lust and wrong, you know, discontent. There's a lot of things that come. We know, covetousness. You know, we we have covetousness. Discontent. That's another word for covetousness is discontent. We have, before we spend that money foolishly, we have already had a covetous thought. It's already there. I had to 1130. Yeah, time ran away. I want to talk about four ways to take our thoughts captive. Four ways. And I have about nine minutes to do it. First is starve. The second is feed. The third is to take control. And the fourth is to get help. The first, starve. We starve our minds of the things that cause us to go down the wrong road. And what is in our minds? I think nowadays it just needs to be said every once in a while. What are you looking at on your smartphone? Why am I having trouble controlling my thoughts? What am I feeding it on? Starve it of the things that cause you to go down. You have to write down in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Prove all things. That is the brain filter. You need a filter for our minds. We need to filter out the things that don't belong there. Feed. We've, We've starved it, now we're going to feed it. Matthew Henry said this, The mind of a man is a busy thing. If not employed in doing good, it will do evil. Is that true? Matthew Henry, you know what he's talking about? It is. You know, another man, it's just a proverb. It says, you know, idleness is the devil's workshop. A.W. Tozer said this. When, when the bird of thought, I just love this. When the bird of thought is let go, does it fly like a raven to settle upon the floating carcasses? or does it like the dove circle and return again to the ark you get the get the picture this is the picture of noah's ark you know is it go to the carcasses or does it go back to the ark like the dove what is our mind when we let our mind go what happens and then he goes on to say such a test is easy to run and if we are honest with ourselves we can discover not only what we are but what we're going to be because where our thoughts are now is where we will be later you follow that. So A.W. Tozer says, you know, that you can run that test. Just stop and let your mind go and see where it goes. It'll tell you a lot about where you're going to be later on, not only who you are. So what are you feeding on? Now the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our bodies and our lives always end up where our thoughts are. So what are we to think about? You knew I was going to have to get to this verse eventually, didn't you? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, you know, we're we're feeding our minds. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So you wonder... How do I, what do I replace these nasty thoughts with? You know, I'm all depressed. I'm all discouraged. I'm really struggling with these relationships. I don't even like that person. And I really wish he was out of my life and I'm thinking bad thoughts towards him or her. How do you replace it? Philippians 4.8. Take it seriously. Take control. That's number three. So we've, we've starved and we've fed and now we need to take control. Now, does that sound spiritual? I mean, with the spiritual person, no, no, no. We don't want to be in control. We want God to be in control, right? That's not quite true. That's not quite what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that we should set our affections on things above. And set is a volitional word. Set is a, is a word that we do. When we set our affections, it's a command that we do that. And it implies that we have the power to do that. So don't get all over spiritual and say, I need God to take over my thoughts. There is a point to that, and we'll get to that on the will if I have time. In, you know, one man said this. He, he asked a man, he said, Do you ever have trouble with wandering with thoughts? And he says, Yes, I do. My thoughts have wandered for years. I haven't seen them in a long time. You know, we, we get there. But the gospel says that we are to take captive our thoughts. We are to live with a mind that is set on God. You know, it says there in, in Psalms, at least 10 times and I think it's 14 times in the Bible altogether it, it talks about oh my soul you're familiar with that phrase oh my soul bless thou Jehovah you know the, the uh, you know, bless the Lord why art thou cast down within me oh my soul do you hear that you're hearing something very unique when you read those words in the Bible you're actually hearing one part of a man talking to another part of a man and both are inside the mind that's the will You follow that? Oh, you know, when I tell my soul to bless the Lord, or I ask my soul, why art thou cast down? It is me talking to me. But it is my will talking to my mind and emotions, my thoughts and emotions. And so that's where it becomes important. God is saying that when when He tells you to command you to set your affections, He's saying you have the power to do it. First of all, we need to get our will controlled by God's will, not my will, but thine be done, so that our will is controlled by God's will. And then now instead of the thoughts and emotions controlling us, is now the will controlled by God's will controlling our thoughts and emotions. And I think particularly girls need that lesson probably as much as anything. We need to realize that there needs to be a part of us you know, sometimes, you know, we you know, have these hormonal things going on. We feel very discombobulated and everything's all messed up. We need to understand that, that, that there's a part of us that is sober and thoughtful and logical and is in control of God, and it can control the rest of us. We should always know that. We should sometimes just sit outside ourselves and say, boy, what would I look like if somebody could see me? But you can see yourself. That's one of the reasons why we can say to our soul. We can actually see our own thoughts and that's what God is saying put your mind and your will under control of the will and the fourth thing i wanted to mention is report in or get help you know there is such a thing you know especially certain kinds of well, certain kinds of fear anxiety depression and lust are things that a lot of times people cannot deal with on their own? And I will tell you, this man I told you about that wallowed in the ashes. He is interesting the way that story ended. He did repent. He was actually a minister in the church. You know, I was at a ministers' meeting when I heard this story. He was a minister in the church at that at, before this. Of course, he was taken out of the ministry. He came back to the church and has been a supporting supporting brother in the church for many years since then. And one of the things he says about that thing is he said he realizes what he should have done. He did not have the power within himself somehow to get clear with God enough. He was so fogged over with wherever he had let his mind go up to that point that he couldn't think straight. He said he wished he would have done one thing. He wished he'd have made a phone call. He wished he'd have went over to a brother's house and prayed. You know, sometimes we need help don't kid yourself, you know, when our mind is messed up, is don't try to use your mind to get straightened out, you know, sometimes you've got to have somebody say, you know, Brother Clint, you're not thinking right, you know, we just need somebody to do that to us every once in a while, so I would like to end with some thoughts on the, when we're struggling, and you know, for for me at one time especially, I struggled with those three o'clock in the morning thoughts, you know, it wasn't. It's always 3 o'clock in the morning. Maybe it's 2 in the morning. Maybe it's 1 in the morning. But whatever it was, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> you have all kinds of thoughts going through your mind you didn't want, don't, didn't expect even. And there they are. And many times, you know, nowadays, you know, I, I have, you know, one of the ways I deal with that is a lot of times I just turn on the Bible. I just listen to the Bible until I go back to sleep. I just find it's just a very very peaceful thing to do. I don't struggle with it. But at one time I did. And one of the things that would happen was that Satan would bring up my past. You know, one of the things about that is that there is a place for that. There is a place for waking up in the middle of the night and realizing that there is things in my past that I have not yet dealt with. I have not yet repented of. I haven't yet made restitution for. And there is God sometimes does that. You know, the clarity in the darkness. The quiet. Of the middle of the night is sometimes the best time for God to really get a hold of us and talk to us. And we need to listen what, when that happens. However, there is times when, you know, it's a nameless. We've dealt with everything. We know we're at peace with God. We know we've done the right thing. We've settled our, our heart before God. We prayed before we went to bed. And we know that we've, we're clear. But what does Satan do? He says, you're not clear. And then there's, when you, seek, you, you search, well, where's, where is the problem? And you find out there isn't any, and that's Satan. He has, he has fogged your mind. He says, it's a, there's a song that speaks about that nameless dread and fear. And that's when we tell Satan, I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has bought and paid for me. And you reminded me of my past. But Satan, I'll remind you of your future. You are defeated. You are, you are going to be cast into the bottomless pit. You are done for. And you have no power in my life. We need to talk to Satan that way. We have power because of Jesus, not because of us. Goodness, if you talk that way to Satan without Jesus' name, you're going to lose. It is strictly a matter of faith in the name of Jesus Christ that gives us absolute power and victory over Satan. So remind Satan of his future. I will just end on one one final note. Meditation. Meditation. You know, in Psalms nineteen fourteen, it says, "Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer." Meditation, powerful concept, because that meditation is focused thought. Focused thought. And we need to be able to do that because that's how we gain strength. Fasting is the way we gain strength over our physical bodies. That's how, we, that's how we gain that strength. Meditation is the way we gain strength over our minds. And I would just use this as an illustration. In the last months, I have had a, two people come to me and talk to me about the, the need to feel the burden of the cross. You know they get to communion time and and they feel that you know these things are being said there they they they're hearing about the blood they're hearing about suffering they're hearing about the atonement for my sin and they're not feeling it. This is not there. I I know there was a great price paid for me but I the no tears come and I have no emotion. What is wrong with me? And I have used this I have used when I survey Isaac Watts when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. The richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And I've brought that scripture, or that song, to these people in both instances. I think I even used it in the pulpit once. And because I like it because it uses the word survey. When I survey, you know, to survey something is to, to narrow the mind and think only about that to, to its scope, its breadth, its width, to try to understand its meaning, its depth, to understand what actually happened, to gaze there upon the cross. And you know, we need to do that more than at communion. We need to spend time meditating on the cross. You know, and not just meditating on the cross, but also all the stories of the Bible, You know, I think about Jesus, you know, taking, you know, one of the things that really during my six years in the wilderness there was that I would often think, you know, as I learned this concept, I would I would think about Jesus and those children coming to him. And I pictured them on his lap. And I pictured me on his lap. You know, I saw that story and I applied it to me. You know, we need to see the story of of the of Jesus casting out the money changers with the whip, realizing that we too are a temple of the Holy Ghost, and Jesus wants to drive the money changers from our temple, our bodies, which are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We need to meditate on these stories. We need to let them become real to us. We need to see ourselves as as Peter. You know, Peter, jump out of the boat. Come to me from the boat. We need to see ourselves there. We need to meditate. When I survey, spend time. You know, it takes energy. It takes effort. And you're going to have to take some quiet time. But take time to meditate so that you'll gain strength for the mind. God bless you.